1954, Marilyn Reese Shepard was brutally murdered in her home in Bay Village, Ohio, an upscale suburb of Cleveland. If you take the media's word for it, her killer was none other than her husband, Sam Shepard. But the case isn't as simple as it seems, and even three trials spanning 50 years weren't able to come to a definite conclusion. Hi everyone, and welcome to Square Mile of Murder. That was Kat, if you didn't already know. Uh, And I'm uh, the other one. I'm Taylor. (laughs) Yeah, so interesting case we're doing today, the the Shepard murder case. And we would like to take a minute to very sincerely thank our listener, Broderick, for suggesting this case to us all the way back in December. Wow, is that how long ago it was? Yes. Like... So. I, I remember that. I, I didn't realize it was that long ago, but I do remember because the email was so lovely. The e- your your email, Broderick, was amazing. I love that we have. Uh, so I hope you're okay with us saying this on the show. But you know, you said in it that you're a, a 70 year old listener, and I just that like that's so cool that you want to listen to us. Like well, we don't have anything <laughs> to say. Like. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're a couple of twenty some. Well, no, you're thirty now. Shush. Um, yeah, a couple of twenty somethings just talking random stuff about yeah. crime every week, and it, it's really cool that we have like a wide sort of demographic. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and and like we said, your email was so lovely, and we really appreciated getting it. And um, and sorry, it's taken us so long to do this case, but we did want to make sure that we gave it the time it needed because it's complicated. Um, and like, it's been on the schedule in like four different places previously and it kept getting pushed because we didn't have time for it. Yeah. And yeah, so Broderick actually had like a semi-personal connection to this case. Like one of his high school English teachers like knew Sam Shepard later in life or like lived down the road. It's a whole thing, so... That's pretty cool. Um, And also in the email, like, I just want to shout out that Broderick said he really enjoyed that I referred to myself as a, quote, known homosexual during the Andre Chikatilo episodes. And, like, I'm pretty sure it's my new favorite descriptor. Well, I mean, if you weren't already known, the fact that you married a woman probably helps. I mean, yeah. Also, just look at me. This is very gay. Um, well, they can't. Well, I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> I mean, I dress like a thirteen-year-old boy, and <laughs> I'm currently covered in paint stains from DIYing stuff. So I don't think it gets much gayer than that. <laughs> like my second home is B and Q, or Home Depot for American listeners. Um, <laughs> stereotypes exist for a reason. Everyone love a good flannel. Um, so yeah, but who knows, maybe that could make it onto a t-shirt someday. I think that would be just like in like fancy script, like known homosexual. Yeah. I'd be into that. With all that said, um, let's dive into the very complex case of the murder of Marilyn Reese Shepard. On July 3rd, 1954, Sam and Marilyn Shepard and their seven-year-old son, Samuel Chip, Reese Shepard 
hosted their friends and neighbours Don and Nancy Ahern and their two children at their lake drive home on the edge of Lake Erie. I think that sounds like a really cool place. Just eerie. (laughs) Like, just, like, living on the edge of a great lake sounds incredible and also expensive, but also incredible. And, like, one bad decision away from a horror film, but, you know. I mean, yeah, well, we'll get there. (laughs) Uh, The Shepherds had the Ahern's over for drinks and dinner, but Sam Shepherd kept getting called away from the evening. Sam was an osteopathic surgeon at Bayview Hospital, and earlier in the day he had performed a routine surgery. That evening he was called in to deal with a young boy who had been hit by a telephone company truck. The boy sadly didn't make it, and when Sam returned to the dinner party, he was soon called away again to consult on a patient with a broken leg. He'd already had two martinis, but he chewed on some cloves. Well known. Antidote. And then headed back to the hospital. Because this is the 50s. (laughs) Yeah. When he finally returned to the house, he was tired and subdued. After dinner, Don Ahern drove his children home and then returned to the house. Marilyn put Chip to bed and the couple spent some time in the living room where Don listened to a baseball game on the radio while the others watched the movie Strange Holiday, which was airing on one of the two available TV channels. (laughs) I just love that. Right. This is my first question. Why go back to a dinner party to then listen to something on the radio while everyone else is watching TV? I don't know. Why don't just go home? It does seem strange to me. Like, just stay home (laughs) or stay in the car and listen to the radio. Yeah. But maybe Nancy wanted him there. (laughs) Maybe. You know Nancy. Yeah. You know how she gets. Yeah. Uh, Sam sat in a chair with Marilyn on his lap for a while before moving to a daybed where he fell asleep. Which is understandable after a long day of surgeoning. Yeah. Yeah. When the movie finished at around half past midnight on July 4th, Marilyn walked their guests to the door, locked up, and went upstairs, leaving Sam on the couch. Yes. Uh, what, What exactly happened next is unknown. What we do know is that in the early hours of that morning, Marilyn Shepard was bludgeoned to death in her bed with an unknown weapon. Uh, according to Sam Shepard, he was still sleeping on the daybed downstairs when he heard his wife cry out. When he raised upstairs, he saw a, quote, white biped form. Yep. Uh, that he grappled with, and he was then knocked unconscious from behind. When he regained consciousness, he checked Marilyn's pulse and realized she was dead. He checked on his son in the next room over and found that the boy was still soundly sleeping and safe. Sam then ran downstairs where he saw this white form again, this time heading out the back door. So Sam chased the form out of the house and onto the beach and, quote, lunged or jumped and grasped end quote, at the intruder, which he then described as a tall, bushy-haired form. Uh, yep. Um, so after tussling on the beach, Sam once again lost consciousness. When he woke up at around dawn, he was on the sand, and he was missing his t-shirt and his watch. 
he went back to the house and called his friend, who was the mayor of Bay Village, Spencer Hauk, and told him, quote, My God, Spence, get over here quick. I think they have killed Marilyn. End quote. Mayor Hauk and his wife Esther rushed over to the shepherd house where they found Sam in his den without a shirt on, with a blood stain on the knee of his trousers, leaning back in a chair and holding his neck. Quite the image. Mm-hmm. When speaking to the Hauks, Sam was dazed and out of sorts. His account to them about what had happened was missing major details and he couldn't even pinpoint the gender or species of the intruder. Instead, sticking to his word of choice, form. I just, it's so weird. He later chalked up his strange account to his having been knocked out twice. Uh, the Hawks called the police, who arrived at the home about 6am. Police officer Fred Drenken yeah. uh, found the badly brutalised Marilyn on her twin bed. She had been partially undressed and had over 20 curved gashes on her face and scalp. During a later autopsy, Marilyn was found to be four months pregnant. Yeah. The room was covered in blood, as you may have guessed, and the, with the only space under the bed and an outline where the killer had stood remaining unstained. Drenken also found evidence of a robbery, or possibly a staged robbery. Sam's black medical bag had been turned over in the hallway and its contents were all over the floor. A bowling trophy had been knocked down and was scratched. And of course, Sam's shirt and watch were missing. Sam's desk had been rifled through in an apparently neat manner, but nothing was stolen. I love the idea that you can rifle through something neatly. neatly. It was the the reasoning was like, oh, it it's been rifled through, but all the door drawers have been very like evenly pulled out or something. It's like right, uh, okay. <laughs> Police later found a canvas bag in the shrubs behind the house containing Sam's watch, keychain, and keys, and his fraternity ring. So we've got the watch. Still don't have the shirt. Interesting. No. Um, also, of all the things to steal in a house, <laughs> why a shirt? Why literally steal the shirt off someone's back? Well, so I don't think I put it in the script, but Shepard, in later questioning, the cop- cops were like, why did he take your shirt off? And he's like, I don't know, maybe he needed a shirt. Yeah, that's logical. This, this seems seems right. Um, so, uh, at 8 a.m., the Cuyahoga County coroner, Sam Gerber, arrived and listened to Officer Drenken's initial findings. Gerber quickly became convinced that Sam Shepard had killed his wife. And because of this assumption, Gerber investigated the killing as a domestic homicide, not an intruder murder, and paid less attention to, like, fingerprint and blood evidence. Uh, He did a preliminary investigation at the house and then went to Bayview Hospital to interview Sam. Gerber interviewed Sam for just 10 minutes and then collected his clothing, including his wet shoes, belt, boxers, and trousers. 
Gerber noted that the blood stain on the knee of his trousers looked as though Sam had kneeled in blood. Um, Gerber then returned to the Shepherd house where he was overheard telling a detective, quote, it's obvious the doctor did it. So we're not, we're not getting unbiased investigators here. No. Um, Gerber was so convinced that he sent two detectives to the hospital to get a confession out of Sam, but the detectives didn't get anywhere. When one told Sam that he thought he had killed his wife, the doctor replied, quote, I loved Marilyn. Uh, Sam was also visited by two other people at the hospital that day. Cleveland Browns quarterback Otto Graham, who was a friend of the Shepherds, and a high-profile Cleveland defense attorney, Bill Corrigan. The story of Marilyn's murder spread like wildfire throughout Cleveland, and like so many of the cases we talk about, it quickly became a media fixation. And no media organization was more obsessed with the case and Sam Shepard's guilt than the Cleveland Press. The paper, headed up by editor Louis B. Seltzer, ran countless stories shortly after the murder attacking Sam. One story on July 8th included a quote from Assistant Prosecutor John Mahone, who claimed the Shepherd family had been hindering the investigation. On July 9th, the press ran another story on page one that said Sam Shepherd had refused to take a lie detector test about the, quote, slaying of his attractive wife, which, ew. Just like, why? Also... That means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, we have got to stop this whole fixation on whether or not people will take a polygraph test because they don't mean anything. That's why they're not allowed into evidence. Yeah, exactly. On July 21st, the Cleveland Press amped it up further by running a front page editorial with the headline, Why No Inquest? Do It Now, Dr. Gerber. While the newspapers were creating a circus around the case, police were struggling with the investigation. There was no obvious motive for Sam, or anyone else for that matter, to kill Marilyn. There were rumours that Sam was sterile and Marilyn was pregnant with another man's child, but these were quickly dispelled after a paternity test proved that the fetus was Sam's. Another line of, in of investigation led police to speak with Nancy Ahern, who revealed that Sam had been having a three-year extramarital affair with Susan Hayes, a lab tech from Bayview Hospital, and that he had sho showered her with gifts. When Shepard voluntarily agreed to questioning on July 10th, police asked him about the affair. He denied the affair and said the, the two were just... Close friends. Of course. Of course. Uh, so perhaps under pressure from the media, or perhaps by coincidence, Dr. Gerber scheduled a coroner's inquest for July 22nd, the day after the Cleveland Press ran their front page editorial. Very coincidental. Yeah, it's just, it's just random. Um, at the inquest, Sam Shepard testified, uh, still wearing a neck brace. And actually, there's so the inquest took place in like the in the high school gymnasium, and there's pictures of like the coroner and Sam Shepard in a neck brace and sunglasses, like <laughs> at a folding table on a basketball court. <laughs> so, 
Right. It's all wild, wild stuff happening here. Mm. Lots and lots of pictures out there about this case, including crime scene photos. If you're going to go Googling, just be careful if you don't want to see those. Um, buh, 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 buh. Yeah. So many people thought that Shepard's testimony was cold and unnaturally detached and found it odd that he couldn't answer questions about his ordeal with more details. Um, when he was questioned again about his relationship with Susan Hayes, Shepard again denied an affair. Uh, though the inquest satisfied the demands of the press, they didn't stay satisfied for long. Well, they are very greedy. They, like, it, they're hard to please. Um, within a week, the Cleveland press was at it again with an editorial headline reading, oh, and by the way, all these editorial headlines are in all caps. <laughs> yeah, we're just not going to shout. We're not going to shout, but yeah. Um, We're easily startled. We don't want to scare each other. Yes. Uh, so this one read, quit stalling, bring him in. Uh, and the text of the editorial included um, the following, quote, everybody's agreed that Sam Shepard is the most unusual murder suspect ever seen around these parts, except for some superficial questioning during coroner Sam Gerber's inquest. He has been scot-free of any official grilling into the circumstances of his wife's murder. Uh, and as if the paper were pulling the strings, police arrested Shepard that same evening at 10.30 p.m. They interrogated him over the next two days with two teams of detectives taking turns grilling him for 22 hours. But they were still unable to get Shepard to budge from his story. On August 16th, a grand jury convened to consider the evidence against Shepard. Mayor Houck told the grand jury that Marilyn had once told, told him Sam was a, quote, Jekyll and Hyde. Susan Hayes told them all about her relationship with Dr. Sam, as she called him. See, that only works with our accent. It wouldn't sound as salacious <laughs> as mine. Dr. Sam. Um... And police inspector James MacArthur told the grand jury that the many blows to Marilyn's head showed premeditation. MacArthur also promoted the idea of Shepard's infidelity as a motive and said there was, quote, some evidence that Sam wanted a divorce, but Marilyn had refused. On August 17th, the grand jury indicted Sam Shepard on first-degree murder charges. Sam Shepard's trial began on October 18th, 1954, in Cleveland, and was presided over by Judge Edward Blythin. Journalists from all over flocked to the city to report on the trial that was sure to be scandalous. Even syndicated columnist and TV star of the quiz show What's My Line, Dorothy Kilgallen, was there from the trial start with the jury selection. In one of her first reports on the trial, she wrote, quote, The fact that at this stage it is equally possible for the rational mind to find him innocent or guilty is what may, may make the Shepherd trial a celebrated cause to rank with the classic puzzle of Lizzie Borden. Um, and that was actually one we covered in episode 19, for anyone wanting to brush up on this classic puzzle. Yeah, in, in Kilgallen's words. Yeah, which I realise I read that quote very slowly and it's because my mind was getting very confused. <laughs> it's like, fair enough. A classic puzzle? puzzle? <laughs> like, hmm. 
But shortly after writing that report, Kilgallen ran into Judge Blythin, who told her the case was, quote, open and shut. Not only that, he also said that Shepard was, quote, guilty as hell. So remember this, because it will, you know, put a pin in it, because it will become important later on. At the beginning of the trial, Judge Blythin denied defence motions to move the trial out of Cleveland and to delay until media fervour had died down. Because of this, the trial went ahead, but with all but one member of the jury admitting they were already familiar with many of the facts and falsehoods of the case. And this was further complicated by the fact that Cleveland Papers published each juror's photo and name. That is crazy. I, I know it's very different in America to how it is here. Like, jurors can be interviewed as soon as they walk out of court in America, which you can't do here. Yeah. Like, even like here you can be... Firstly, you can go down just for Googling the defendant or the case yeah. after, like, after you've been selected for jury duty. So if you've been selected and then you go home and read everything online mm-hmm. and that is discovered in some way, you can go to prison. You're also not allowed to publicly speak about it. You're not supposed to speak about it at all. Obviously, it does happen mm-hmm. under, like, condition of anonymity. Some will speak to various news outlets and documentaries and things like that, depending on the case. But you can't just... No, it's uh, so weird. Like... I I feel like we're not allowed to do this anymore in America. Like you cannot publish jurors' photos and names. Like, and that's like before the trial. Mm. Like, what a way! If this is like a mob case or something, all those people would be dead. Like, you can't yeah. do that. <laughs> Just like the press in this case went wild. Yeah, and I mean, if it was a mob trial, people would be like, they'd have been threatened and all sorts to find, you know, find them innocent because yeah. otherwise, you know, bad things will happen. Exactly. Like, I just, I can't believe that that happened. <laughs> in another move that seems to have happened a lot more in older trials than it does today, the jury was taken on a field trip. The whole jury was bussed over to the Shepherd home and given a tour of the crime scene, including the bedroom. Sam's neatly mussed den and the stairs from the house to the beach, all included in this lovely tour. Yeah. That's just wild. <laughs> Sam Shepherd followed behind them in handcuffs, and this all happened before opening statements. Like, chock, chock full of fun, this trial. This is so wild. Yeah. No, I, well, another one, they've definitely done it, and you can see it is um, it, the the case, the staircase, in the staircase documentary series. Oh. The jury um, all piles through the house and. Catherine Peterson. Kathleen Peterson, yeah. Um, Kathleen, not Catherine. Because, like, and that one was even weirder because the whole family was still, like, living in the house and they had kept it like it was still a crime scene but they were still like living there i mm, I don't know do you know what the big question about that case was what happened to the owl where is he now how famous is he why was he never prosecuted yes gone to aviary court uh, i think that's 
like one day we should cover that case, but only the owl theory. Yes. Just nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, go watch The Staircase on Netflix. Yeah. All of that stuff happened before opening statements. The next day in his opening statement, prosecutor John Mahone told the jury, quote, a reasonable interpretation of the state's evidence will point the finger of guilt at Sam Shepard. The state's argument rested on the idea that Marilyn and Sam fought about Sam's infidelity, which led him to kill her. Um, fair enough. Uh, one of Shepard's defense attorneys, Sam... Uh, fucking hell. It's a very strange spelling of Sam. Yeah, I know. It starts with an F. <laughs> uh, Fred Gramone, or Gramone? Gramone? I don't know if he's Italian. I don't know. Fred Gramone. Gramone. Uh, Fred Gramone opened the trial for the defense, stating that Sam Shepard had no motive to kill his wife and that the upcoming arrival of their new baby had brought them closer together, together than ever before. Mm-hmm. But he was still stopping Susan Hayes, so. Yeah. Um, real close. Yeah, real close. So... Uh, the prosecution went first, and their witnesses included Dr. Lester Adelson, who testified for two days, laying out every gruesome detail of Marilyn's death with color slides and all, which I'm sure was super fun. Officer Fred Drenken said he found Shepard's story of the night's events implausible and that he had found no signs of a struggle or forced entry in the Shepard home nor had anyone in the neighborhood seen any strange, bushy-haired men hanging around that night. Did he ever settle on whether it was male, female, human? Like, not really. <laughs> the prosecution's star witness was none other than the coroner, Sam Gerber. His testimony was damning, if not entirely based in fact. He testified that a blood stain on Marilyn's pillow had been caused by the murder weapon. He said, In this blood stain, I could make out the impression of a surgical instrument. Defense attorney Bill Corrigan jumped up and demanded Gerber's statement be stricken from the record, but Judge Blythin denied his motion. Mm. The jurors were given the pillowcase to pass around and examine up close. Yeah. Because that makes sense. Also, like, so, yeah, the whole, it's a surgical instrument. And they're like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a levered surgical instrument with teeth. And so they go through this whole description of something that does not, it sounds like maybe like forceps or like something like that. And then he goes, mm. so obviously it's a scalpel. And I was re I read the court records for some of this stuff, and I'm like, "What are you fucking talking about? <laughs> you're what you're describing is like crafting scissors with the little jagged edges, and you end oh, up crimping with scissors, scalpel, yeah, pinking shears." <laughs> I'm just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Detective Robert Shockey testified about inconsistencies in Shepard's account of the night paying special attention to his changing account of when he had been knocked out by the intruder. He also set up 
the jury to hear from Susan Hayes by reiterating that Shepard had insisted the two were just friends. Mm-hmm. Susan Hayes testified on December 1st and described her intimate relationship with Dr. Sam. <laughs> the state's final question to Hayes was if she had known Sam Shepard was married during their affair. Her answer was yes. And immediately after she answered, the state rested its case. It's like mic drop. Yeah, literally. But like, uh, I feel like that doesn't really have any bearing. Like, I feel like they wanted to, especially because this is a prosecution. Like, if we're saying, if it's the defense and they're saying, actually, Susan Hayes murdered Marilyn because she was jealous or, or something like that. But it's the prosecution's mm. like, so what? She knew they were... I mean, it's the 50s. I get that, but still. <laughs> yeah, that that's the thing. We have to remember that it is, it is like, the 50s it's more and... more like character assassination than anything. Yeah. And even though forensics and everything was moving on, there was still these old-fashioned ideas about... Not so much old-fashioned ideas about marriage. I mean, like, we all recognize marriage as an institution, blah, blah, blah. It's still a perfectly valid thing for people to do. Why, thank you. food is good. <laughs> you know, it's not like that idea itself is old-fashioned, is not what I'm trying to say. It's just that the ideas surrounding it yes, yeah, like that, are very old-fashioned. That if, if you're married, like it somehow makes you more like moral or, or put together yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and that, you know, infidelity is an indicator of guilt, which yes. of course it isn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Does it make you a murderer automatically? No. I mean, that might be involved in there somewhere, but you never know. Um, yeah. So that <laughs> that was the, the state's case. They were like, she knew they were married. Goodbye. So then for the defense, we had uh, Bill Corrigan, who was the lead defense attorney, who was the, the guy who visited, or one of the two people who visited Shepard in the hospital the night of the murder. Um, and Corrigan mainly wanted to persuade the jury that Shepard had suffered a major injury on the night of the murder and that this injury would be challenging or maybe impossible to self-inflict. He hoped the jury would see his injuries as evidence of Sam's tussle with the, quote, bushy-haired man and not evidence that he had been injured while killing his wife. So there's that. Um, The defense witnesses included doctors including Sam's brother, Dr. Steve Shepard. Oh, yeah, totally independent. Oh, yeah, exactly. Totally independent witnesses. Exactly. No bias there at all. Um, so, but yes, there were like three or four Dr. Shepherds who were all osteopathic surgeons in the Cleveland area. That's not confusing at no, all. No, it's truly a family business. Um <laughs> So yeah, so doctors, including Dr. Steve Shepard, nurses who spoke about uh, muscle spasms, blackouts, and potential cervical fractures that Sam had experienced. Uh, One doctor... Uh, Cervical fractures. Did I not say that? No, you said cervical. Yeah. It's like C-spine, cervical vertebrae. That's what the neck ones are called. Right. 
I have a very... I was thinking of cervical as in cervix. cervix. I was yeah. thinking, how the hell did he have that? <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the medical oddity part of this case. And now we take a hard right turn. <laughs> no, no, no. C-spine. <laughs> uh, oh, well, I've learned something. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny that, like, the... the, the reason i know that is because my mother has had so much of her her c vertebrae replaced and pinned and cadaver boned oh. over the years so i've had to learn all the lingo coming soon to a neck near me sometime so moving on <laughs> that's your anatomy lesson for the day ladies and gentlemen um besides this medical testimony the defense is case rested on Shepard's own testimony, which lasted for three full days. Which is too long. I would get so bored. It's um, a long time to listen to someone speak about themselves. Yeah, exactly. And so this is where I started reading the direct court records and oh my god, do they just waffle. It literally... He testified about his whole life story. Starts from when he was born and goes up to the day of the murder. Like, fucking hell. There's like 500 pages of oh my God. transcripts. Yeah. No. So. At least we keep it to like a tight one hour 30. Yeah, exactly. Not three fucking days. Mm. <laughs> um, but unfortunately... Shepard tended toward arrogant and used stilted language during his time on the stand. Uh, if his account of the murder already seemed odd thanks to his use of words like form instead of person or intruder, his testimony, his testimony certainly didn't help. Uh, and according to the court transcripts, which you can read and download from Cleveland State University, he used phrases like, I was awakened by her cries and, in my drowsy rec recollection, stimulated to go to Marilyn, which I did as soon as I could navigate. You know that episode of Friends where Joey uses a thesaurus on every word yeah. of a, the recommendation letter? Yeah. It's like that. It is like that. And it just gets worse. So here's another one. As I went up the stairs and into the room, I felt that I could visualize a form of some type with a light top. As I tried to go to Marilyn, I was intercepted or grappled. Obvious. Well, which was it? Were you intercepted or were you grappled? I don't know. He doesn't seem to know. Um, he said that he came to and when he saw Marilyn, he, quote, felt that she was gone and when he checked on Chip, he, quote, in some way evaluated that he was all right, end quote, but didn't know how he had done it. Just like, what? <laughs> um, I'm very confused. Yeah. He also described the figure that he grappled with on the beach as follows, quote, well, I felt that it was a large, relatively large form the clothing was dark from behind. There was evidence of a good-sized head with a bushy appearance to the top of the head. Hair. It had hair. Yeah, it had hair. 
I is this guy getting paid by the world? That's what I feel like. Like, what the fuck, man? Edit. <laughs> and I just like. I don't know if he thought it would make him sound smarter or if he was just this much of an asshole all the time, but just like <laughs> who fucking talks like that? Nobody. Literally nobody. A bushy, no, a, a large form with a bushy appearance to the top of the head. So like a big man with big hair. Um, Corrigan also had Shepard examine the clothes that he had been wearing that night on the stand, and this included Shepard dumping sand out of the shoes that he'd been wearing and just onto the courtroom floor. So not only is he just prattling on and talking absolute nonsense, he's now just making a mess. Yes, literally. <laughs> it's like in the in the records he's like oh there's a lot of sand in here and he's like whacking it around uh, um so yeah the shoes had a ton of sand but uh supposedly on the stand he found no spots of blood anywhere except on the knee of the trousers as we talked about previously uh, during his cross-examination, Mahone focused on Shepard's affairs, including a patient he had kissed in the parking lot, as well as his relationship with Susan Hayes. Shepard said that his brother Steve had convinced him that his affair with Hayes was hurting Marilyn. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which perhaps indicates Marilyn knew about the affair, but couldn't find any confirmation of that one way or another. Yeah, like... It it just, that confuses me because mm -hmm. everyone seems to have known that he was having this affair, but nowhere in all the reading that I did could I find anything that said Marilyn knew about the affair. There is that thing of like people, people can be like blissfully unaware and like yeah. refuse to accept what's right, literally right in front of them, so... She may have known and just been in denial. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, during closing arguments, the prosecution argued that a young... Shepard was only 31. Mm -hmm. So a young, strong man wouldn't have been rendered senseless by a single hit to the back of the head. I mean, I mean that's debatable. Depends on how hard you hit. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> you know, smacked around the back of the head, no. Hit with a wrecking ball... Yes. Yeah, or like a pipe or something. They also questioned why there hadn't been signs of struggle in the bedroom. The defence for their part asked why, even after five plus months, the prosecutors hadn't been able to determine, let alone find, the murder weapon. I mean, it is an important question. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Um... The jury began deliberations on Friday, December 17th. So this trial's gone on for like two months a, by this it point. It's a long trial. And the jury wasn't sequestered. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising, no. considering that he waffled on about himself for three days. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. They began deliberations on Friday the 17th and returned the following Tuesday. They took 18 votes in deliberations to reach a verdict. Ultimately, they found Shepard not guilty of murder in the first degree, but guilty of murder in the second degree. 
Judge Blythin sentenced Shepard to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 10 years. Uh, Sam Shepard spent most of the next seven years in a maximum security prison near Columbus, Ohio. A month after he was convicted, his mother took her own life and his father died of cancer. That's not good. His appeals were rejected by Ohio courts. However, things kept going behind the scenes while Shepard was in prison. A respected criminalist from California, Dr. Paul Kirk, conducted an investigation of the Shepard home and published a report that concluded that, one, the murderer was left-handed and Sam Shepard was right-handed. Two, the murder weapon was probably a flashlight and not some sort of mystery surgical instrument. Um, Three, the murderer probably hated the Shepherds, I think based on just like how vicious the attack was yeah like overkill what was it was it like 20 23 or 7 or something yeah it's a lot like yeah and to be up close for that like that period of time yeah um and four he found blood in the bedroom that matched neither marilyn or sam based on blood typing Mm. yeah so that's interesting Um, In July 1955, a few months after Kirk's report was published, a dented flashlight was found in shallow water in Lake Erie near the Shepherd home. Well, sure, when you know what you're looking for, it's a lot easier. It's like, oh, sure, no problem. Now, I don't know if they ever, like, retained that flashlight for evidence, but a neighbor found it. So, there you go. (laughs) Um... In 1959, there was another major development in the case. Richard Eberling was a man who had washed windows in the Shepherd home right around the time of the murder. And in 1959, Eberling was arrested for larceny. During a search of his home, police found a bunch of stolen items, including a cocktail ring that had belonged to Marilyn Shepherd. During questioning, police made a calculated bluff and asked Everling, why his blood had been found in the Shepherd home. Surprisingly, Everling answered. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and his he said he'd cut himself while removing storm windows at the house a few days before the murder and had dripped blood throughout the entire house. Meanwhile, the police had not found his blood in the house. And so he <laughs> just offered that right up, which is interesting. Mm, well, I suppose if they're like, they're like, okay, we've definitely got him for larceny. Maybe we could get him for murder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he made it sound like, like he cut his hand when he was washing the windows, and then he just like, just walked around the whole house, like holding his hand out, bleeding all over the floor. <laughs> and just, I don't even know. So, yeah, so these details were then published in a 1961 book by Paul Holmes that argued that Shepard had been wrongly convicted. Uh, Bill Corrigan died in 1961, so Shepard found a new lawyer. Obviously. Unless you've got a necromancer on staff as well. Yeah, that's last month's theme. (laughs) Ghost lawyer. Ooh. Shepard didn't have a necromancer on staff, so he found the young... F. Lee Bailey, Hmm. who would later go on to defend Patty Hearst and was part of the, quote, dream team 
who got O.J. Simpson acquitted of the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. I mean, that whole trial is a whole mess of crap in itself. That is why the Kardashians are a thing. Yes. So, really, we have so much to blame O.J. for. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, like, if we... Uh, that's before, like, the fact that he's a murderer. Yes, yes, there's that. I mean, never forget that he wrote a book called If I Did It... <laughs> Yeah, like what kind of psychopath does that? <laughs> the entitled ones. Um, yeah. yeah, Bailey's career is fascinating to me because he was had, like had his finger in every famous trial pie throughout the last <laughs> century, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bailey got to work, and in April 1963, he filed a writ of habeas corpus in federal court. A habeas corpus petition basically says that a prisoner has been falsely detained and demands said prisoner be brought before the courts to determine if his or her detainment was or is lawful. I think is how I interpreted the Wikipedia page. So I'm going to trust you on that because I've heard it said a lot, but I'm not entirely sure what it means. Yeah. So. so legal disclaimer, but I think that's basically right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bailey cited that the prejudicial prejudicial publicity before and during the 1954 trial violated Shepard's right to due process of law. That is a big thing now, I think, with social media and like just the way news is, is disseminated mm -hmm. around the world so easily. Like, how many big high-profile trials now can happen with people knowing nothing. That's what I, like, I don't know how you get impartial juries anymore. Because even if you had someone and you, like, combed through their social media to see if they talked about it, you could never know what, they, what they'd seen. Yeah, because, like, everyone can watch the news on a night. Yeah. And talk about it with their friends and family without using you know, social media or the internet in any way. Yeah. And like, also, if you think about Facebook, like, I could scroll down my Facebook feed and see a handful of posts. But I could be friends with someone who posts something about a crime, and maybe I didn't see it. But how can, you know, someone yeah. selecting a jury ever determine that I did or didn't see it or you know do or don't know about it like it just seems so complicated yeah. now in july 1964 federal judge federal district judge sorry carl weinman overturned shepherd's conviction on federal due process grounds and called the 1954 trial a mockery of justice so that's 10 years he would have served that on good behavior yeah so. probably Shepard was released on a $10,000 bond and two days later married Ariane Tebenjohns, uh, who he had been seen whilst he was in prison. Ariane, it turns out, uh, was a bit of a public image no-go for Shepard because <laughs> her older sister was married to Nazi propaganda chief Joseph Goebbels. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. Like, and this is, I mean, this is less than 20 years since the end of the Second World War, so. Yeah. It's just like, oh, the guy who maybe murdered his wife 
and now his second wife is related by marriage to like major Nazis. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. <laughs> the newlyweds didn't get to celebrate for long, however, because the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals reinstated Shepard's conviction with a two to one vote. They did, however, allow him to remain free on bail pending an appeal at the US Supreme Court. It's nice of them. Yeah. Um, in spring 1966, the Supreme Court issued a surprising 8-to-1 decision that reversed Shepard's conviction, stating that the 1954 trial had had a, quote, carnival-like atmosphere, and it had violated Shepard's right to a trial by an impartial jury. And also, in some of these, like, district and circuit court appeals, that statement that the judge made to Dorothy Kilgallen came mm -hmm. out and was like, oh shit, which Kilgallen didn't publish that until the judge had died. So, uh, yeah. So they're like, also, that's not so good, guys. <laughs> yeah. Not allowed to do no. that. Um, so Ohio, so yeah, so they like, we're like, no, you're not convicted anymore. You're a free man. Ohio prosecutors then announced two days later that they would be retrying Shepard for his wife's murder. Which is fair enough, because like he's that he was the, the prime suspect, and it's just that the first trial was an absolute circus. It's nothing to do with evidence. Yeah, exactly. So in the 1966 criminal trial, so trial part two, uh, began on October 24th. This time, the prosecution took a different approach and abandoned some of the tactics used in the first trial. They didn't focus on the, quote, surgical instrument, murder weapon, and gave coroner Sam Gerber a much smaller role in the trial. <laughs> That's probably good. probably good. Um, they also didn't ask Susan Hayes to come back to testify and focused a little bit less on Shepard's infidelity, choosing just to read his 1954 statement that denied his relationship with Hayes. Uh, they posited that Sam murdered Maryland after an argument over his infidelity. Uh, their new major piece of evidence was small blood spots on the rim of Sam's watch that an expert witness testified could only have been there if Sam had been the killer. Which, yeah. <laughs> um, Sounds weak. Well, and that's also like, so much of this case is blood evidence, which now is considered total bullshit. So it's kind of yeah. funny. Um, but F. Lee Bailey had an answer for this blood evidence. He got Paul Kirk, who was the same guy who found the new blood evidence in 1955, and blood expert Roger Marsters to testify about the watch. Um, Kirk said that the blood spots looked like contact transfer. Mm. And during Marsters' testimony, um, Bailey pointed out small spots of blood on the inside of the watch band, which looked similar to the ones on the rim, suggesting that the watch couldn't have been on Shepard's wrist when, you know, the blood got on mm. it. Interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, Bailey also chose not to put Shepard on the stand, hoping that he could avoid exposing the jury to the doctor's sometimes arrogant way of speaking. And also... Probably saved them about a month. Yeah, exactly. Move this thing along. (laughs) Yeah. Instead, he focused heavily on blood evidence, including Kirk's conclusion that the blood spatter suggested the killer was left-handed. He knew about Richard Ebeling, but chose not to present him as a possible suspect because he believed that Ebeling had passed a polygraph test in 1959, clearing him of the crime. He instead proposed that Marilyn had been having an affair with Spencer Houck, and that Esther Houck had killed Marilyn in a fit of jealousy. Okay. (laughs) But there was no clear evidence of this affair. The two were very close. But that was it. Yeah. Uh, Bailey closed the trial by saying the murderer wasn't in the courtroom, but instead was someone who had been very angry at Marilyn. The jury began deliberating on November 16th. See, this trial is already like half. I know, so much shorter. The first one. <laughs> uh, they were originally split eight to four in favour of acquittal. By that evening, the minority came round and the jury voted to acquit Sam Shepard of all charges. So, what's a wrongly convicted man to do with his life after being freed? He returned to medicine and surgery, uh, but his skills had obviously deteriorated after nearly a decade in prison. And he also had a hell of a drinking problem. Soon after returning to medicine, he botched two operations and ended up killing both patients. Yeah. It's not good. He then left medicine. He also appeared to have an addiction to barbiturates, uh, which are very strong. Um, They're generally classed as downers. Um, He and Ariane divorced in 1968 after a rough marriage that included infidelity. Surprise. And uh, possibly spousal abuse. And his relationship with his son Chip also became strained. So he was seven when his mother was killed, so he would be 19 at that point, so... It's a rough... Just rough relationship all Rough around, childhood really. for this kid. Um, and now I know you're probably sitting there thinking, this story can't get any crazier. You guys have already waffled on about all this nonsense. Well, I tell you, hand to God, it gets weirder. So, <laughs> in my f- personal favorite part of this story... In August 1969, Sam Shepard made his debut as a professional wrestler by the name of Killer Sam Shepard. Just. Wow. What? <laughs> this, this, this. <laughs> I mean, what can you say? That That is. That is the same level of like psychopathy as if I yes, did it. Yeah, it's it's very similar. It's like it's great. The the idea of, of profiting profiteering like that, even though you've been acquitted, to then use it like killer Sam Shepard. Well, no, I got I was I was innocent. 
but I'm gonna use this yeah. name. It's just same as as OJ being like, oh well, I was acquitted. But, but if, know, I, if did I did it, did this it is how I would have done it. I'm gonna write a whole book of how I would have killed my ex-wife if I'd yeah, done it. Yeah, and it's just like if you, I feel like most people once they've been you know proven to be wrongly convicted or acquitted or whatever they just kind of want to step away from the whole thing live a quiet life yeah not become a professional wrestler or even even look at like more modern cases look like amanda knox Mm -hmm. she was wrongfully imprisoned and she's gone on to be a massive advocate exactly and do a lot of like like sort of uh raise a lot of awareness for like wrongful yeah. conviction things this is like her then becoming an instagram I... influencer and her her hashtag is like killer amanda knox <laughs> yeah amanda the annihilator yeah but but that's what it is it is it's it's fucking uh... wild yeah so uh i'm gonna i'm you better believe there's gonna be like i'll i'll use a picture of of him wrestling as the (laughs) social media photo this week because like it's the best Mm. um yeah so he wrestled in over 40 matches and was a huge draw thanks to his notoriety no shit um he he used his anatomical knowledge to develop a new to develop new wrestling moves including a new submission hold called the mandible claw uh which was later popularized by professional wrestler mankind in 1966 i don't know what any of those words mean but if you know wrestling maybe they mean something (laughs) to you (laughs) oh god i like professional wrestling is fascinating but is so confusing to me mm. so it's um, it's weird because it's it's touted as being like a sport but we all know that it's scripted yes well we do now but mm. back then i don't know yeah that's true yeah um but Unfortunately for Killer Sam Shepard, his wild wrestling days didn't last for long, and he died in his home on April 6, 1970. So what he died from is a word that's really hard for me to pronounce, so I'm going to do my best. Um, He died from Wernicke encephalopathy. Encephalopathy. Uh, Encephalopathy, yeah. It's like... Just the combination of the two mm. is a lot, um, which is a type of brain damage associated with advanced alcoholism. Yeah. Wrestling probably didn't help either. No, probably not. <laughs> Go figure. Mm. Um, but of course, with this case, the story doesn't end there. In 1999, Samuel Reese Shepard filed a civil lawsuit against the state of Ohio in Cuyahoga County for Shepard's wrongful imprisonment. During the civil trial, both Marilyn and Sam's bodies were exhumed to carry out DNA testing. During the civil trial, we finally see the evidence about uh, Richard Ebeling presented in court. Uh, Terry Gilbert, who was Shepard's lawyer, contended that Ebeling was the most likely suspect for Marilyn's murder. 
and it turned out that the polygraph that initially showed no deception in relation to Marilyn's murder was found to be inconclusive or deceptive. Uh, testifying at the civil trial, F. Lee Bailey said he would have presented Ebeling as a suspect had he known the polygraph had been wrong. Gilbert suggested that Ebeling had tried to sexually assault Marilyn and when she resisted, he flew into a rage and killed her. And though Ebeling had had short hair at the time of the murder, he was also known to wear wigs, which could tie into Sam's description of a bushy-haired man. Right. Wouldn't he recognise Ebeling, though? If he was a handyman window washer around the area. Yeah. Like, you would think that. But maybe he was at the hospital that day or something. Well, every day no that every this day. local man came around washing windows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It does seem mm. tricky. Yeah. Uh, DNA played a big role in the civil trial because it hadn't been available in the previous two. Go figure. Testing found that blood from a third person was found at the crime scene, however DNA analysis of the blood could not conclusively match it to Richard Ebeling, who had died in prison in 1998. Prior to his death, Ebeling had often hinted that he knew more about Marilyn Shepard's murder than he had previously, than had previously been discovered, or that he had previously admitted to authorities. He also had a history of the women around him ending up dead or murdered. He was in prison at the time of his death for first-degree murder of an elderly widow who he had befriended. The Cayuga County lawyer argued that the 1954 jury had been right to convict Shepard. They suggested that there was evidence that the murder weapon had been a table lamp that usually sat on the nightstand between Sam and Marilyn's twin beds. Weird. Yeah. However, no such lamp was found at the crime scene after the murder. They also suggested Shepard was unhappy that Marilyn was pregnant and that he wanted to continue his affairs with other women. Um, I mean, that is also a well-known motive, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they also asked why the family dog had not barked at, uh, had not barked at all the night of the killing, despite usually being very loud with strangers. Why has the dog not been mentioned before? What kind of dog was it? I don't know. It, they just say dog. Oh, this is His very name, disappointing. I know. It's so not like me. His name was Coco, I think. Uh, Coco. And Coco, yeah, Coco barked at everyone. But Coco, Coco. nobody heard Coco barking the night of the murder. Chocolate Labrador. Chocolate. I think it was like a... I picture a collie. I don't know why. I don't think that's correct. I just <laughs> like picture border, a like a lassie. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the dog did get brought up. Oh, did it? I think it was it was in like early police like records, but I don't think it was brought up at the previous trials. <laughs> um so, yeah. So, civil trial lasted for about 10 weeks. And uh, included testimony from 76 witnesses, which is a fuck ton. It's also quite impressive that there's that many witnesses. Because if you you think, um, so Sam Shepard Jr. would be around about, would be slightly older than our parents. 
Yes. He was, so he would be born, let's say, 47. Yeah, he, he would have been like my father's age. Yeah. yeah. He'd be like the same age as my auntie, yeah. Um. So it's quite impressive that even by the late 90s, there were still enough people around. Yeah. Um. Ultimately, the jury deliberated for just three hours, and they sided with the county. They returned a unanimous verdict that Samuel Reese Shepard had failed to prove his father had been falsely imprisoned. And then, in February 2002, the 8th District Court of Appeals ruled that the civil case should not even have gone to a jury because the statute of limitations on wrongful imprisonment had expired with Sam Shepard's death. So the Shepard case still pops up today in popular culture and has long been fascinating to many people. Uh, in 1963, the TV show The Fugitive began airing, and the show starred David Jansen as Dr. Richard Kimball, a physician who's wrongly convicted of his wife's murder and sentenced to death. On the way to death row, Kimball manages to escape and begins a cross-country search for the real killer, a, quote, one-armed man. Oh my god, right. So I have not seen The Fugitive, but yeah. so my dad gets a newspaper on a sat. well, he gets it every day, but the Saturday newspaper comes with a TV guide, and uh -huh. I always do the crossword in the TV guide, and there was one about a fugitive, and it was like, convinced the fugitive that he only had one, and the answer Arm. was like three letters, but I couldn't <laughs> get it, because it was a really hard crossword this week. Yeah. And so I didn't have any of the letters through it, but now I know. <gasps> I'm going to go fill my go. crossword in later. See? Perfect. Um, yeah. And so this show, so it started in 1963, which is before F. Lee Bailey filed the writ of habeas corpus. Um, yeah, so he's still in prison. He's still in prison. Yeah. And so many people were like, maybe the fugitive airing kind of like turned the tide more in Shepard's favor, people mm -hmm. seeing this on TV like every week. Um, so the show aired for four seasons and had 120 episodes. And even though show creator Roy Huggins denied basing the series on the Shepard case, the similarities are pretty striking. Uh, the TV show was made into the popular movie, The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford in 1993. And that is a really good movie if you haven't seen it. Like, okay, I might just watch good. that because Harrison Ford in his younger yeah. days. Yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> I, I studied that film in a TV writing course about like screenplay act structure or something and that's what we used to study it so you know look out for those you know rising and falling arcs and uh, all that stuff cool. when you watch it um and actually the show was also remade in both 2000 and 2020 um although both of these tv remakes were short-lived I feel like I've heard it mentioned recently. Is it on Netflix? There, the one in 2020 aired on QB, which is a thing, apparently. I don't oh. really know what QB is, but... Okay. Um, and the 2000... 
series aired on CBS. So I have no idea if they're out there, but I feel like I've seen it mentioned recently somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, so that is the complicated and crazy case of the murder of Marilyn Shepard and the possible, maybe, we don't know, but possible wrongful conviction and imprisonment of Dr. Sam Shepard. Wow. Yeah. I, for once, don't have a lot to say, really, because I don't think (laughs) there is a lot that you can say. Well, do you think he did it? I don't know. (gasps) Yeah, I think it's it's entirely possible because, you know, he was having an affair. Maybe he wanted out, you know, she was pregnant. He didn't want another child. He wanted he wanted out of the marriage and to, you know, set up with his new wife, a new girlfriend. The, you know, white form with a bushy top. Just it doesn't sound like a like a shocked husband who's like fought off his wife's killer. Yeah. It's, it does sound very detached and like but also people react weird and he did have yeah. a head injury and Yeah, so. like like we said, Amanda Knox, she Yeah essentially was convicted because she behaved weirdly. Yeah. It's it's tough because it's like in times of extreme stress or grief or shock, like people act mm. not the way you expect them to. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're the killer. No, But absolutely. also, they might be the killer. Yeah. I, I think it, it can be something to, it can be something to kind of, if you've got concrete evidence that they did it, you can then retrospectively be like, okay, the signs were there. Yes. Look at X, Y, and Z. You can't be like, "Oh, here they behaved like this, this, and this." So we're gonna we're gonna bend the evidence and facts and everything to fit the theory. Yeah, exactly. So, in conclusion, I don't know. <laughs> so, I I don't know either, mm-hmm. but. I kind of lean towards he did it just because, mm-hmm. like, there were no signs of forced entry. There were no real evidence that, like, anyone else had been in the house. But the thing that really gets me is that the dog didn't bark um, the night of the murder. Mm-hmm. But apparently... Eberling told the police that when he was doing work at the shepherd house, the dog didn't bark at him. Mm. So that could also be a possibility. The other thing that I found when I was trying to scroll my way through all of the court records and finally found the start of Shepard's testimony about the actual night of the murder on page like 50, (laughs) um, the house and their car, like basically everything they owned was in Marilyn's name. That speaks to motive. Because yeah. if he divorced her, he would get nothing. Possibly. Yes. Yeah, probably. Mm. And like, like sh- they had furniture in their house from her family. Like, it very much seems like, mm. he, like they had nothing really but she she was sort of she was the financial 
you know, stable part of the relationship. Yeah. So that's the, and like, I didn't see that talked about in any of the other sources besides the mm. actual court records. So I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. That's interesting because I would have thought that would be more of a talking point. Yes, exactly. But they focus so much on the infidelity. Yeah. Like, I almost think that's a, like, maybe they go hand in hand. I would but say, to me, yeah, I would say that's the like two a, go hand in hand together. Because they're not strong, particularly on their own. No. I feel like if um, this happened now, that would be jumped upon. Yes, that's what I think too. Like, I think the infidelity would definitely be talked about, but I think you'd need something else to, like, bolster it. I th I feel like the infidelity would be more of, like, a press yes. tabloid talking point. Yeah. And the fact that everything was in her name, the, the sort of financial side of it, I think would be more would make more of a, a case yeah but yeah so i don't know i kind of think he did it mm. but it's just one of those things that's like i don't think you're ever gonna know and i don't think we ever will because he's dead yeah so and it's been so long at this point that yeah it is like a lizzie borden yeah i, I can kind of get that comparison now yeah yeah so there you go. But she's another one who didn't act as everyone thought she should. Yes, exactly. And another one who was acquitted, but everyone assumed for the rest of her life that she had done it. Yeah. So. Interesting. Oh, see, that Dorothy Kilgallen, she, she knew exactly what she was talking about from the <laughs> get-go. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, Yeah. So that is us. Thank you again, Broderick, for suggesting this case. Because, um, like, I'd heard of it, but didn't know all the details before. So I, uh, I had never heard of it. So, yeah. So there you go. It's a good one. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. So if you like the show, uh, please be sure to rate and review us on your podcast app, especially if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, and uh, subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you want to get some cool Square Mile merch, we have a selection of awesome products with some cool designs, and you can find those at the link in our show notes or on our website. If you'd like to help us uh, cover the costs of making the podcast and help us invest in the future of the show, you can join our Patreon page. Tiers start at just £1 per month. Every patron gets regular episodes one day early, a shout out on the show priority case requests and a lifetime discount on merch and that's just one pound a month as the tiers go up you get even more including bonus episodes and exclusive merch that you cannot buy anywhere yep. check that out at patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder links are in all the usual places yep uh thank you everyone for listening we will be back on friday for five pound and up patrons and next week for everyone else yeah we'll see you then bye bye